This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 21st of April 2021. And in the last week or so, we've seen about eight cases uh, and counting of COVID coming through the Northern Territory's quarantine um, from people from India. And so even though those people are so far doing really well and they're being isolated, it really sort of sheds some light on the fact that the situation in India is quite severe at the moment. So Norman, what do we know about what's driving this spike in India at the moment? There's been some talk about a double mutant variant, but is it actually the, a variant of concern or are there other factors at play here? Well, just some of the statistics. In the last week, there have been over one and a half million new cases and 8,000, nearly 8,600 deaths. And those are two record highs for this whole pandemic. So when you think, oh, just when we're getting beyond this, people are getting vaccinated. So in fact, they've given out 123, nearly 124 million doses of vaccine, 16 and a half million people have been fully vaccinated, but because it's a vast population, that's only 1.2% of the population. So when you've got that many people vulnerable, you can open up too early and here's what you get, or you never properly locked down to start with. And you've got record numbers now in India. So there are lots of variants in India, and uh, as there's always variants, because every time the virus replicates, divides in our body. There's a mistake in the uh, genetic material, in the RNA, and that creates a mutation. And you can call it a variant or you can just call it mutated version of the virus. And as we've been covering since the beginning of this pandemic, most mutations don't mean anything. They're just random errors, if you like, in the virus. But because of the way we behave, you can get certain mutations which survive because they've got some advantage. So, for example, you had the 614G, I think it was called, which was a variant which took off last year and took over because it was slightly more contagious. So that really spread around the world. That's a mutation that we've seen in a few of the um, variants that have popped up around the world. Yeah, it, it, it tended to dominate quite quickly by being almost certainly a bit more contagious. Now, with India, you've got this double mutation, which in theory has got a mutation which could confer vaccine resistance. But at the moment, it's only being declared, as we record this coronacast, it's only being declared as a, as a variant of interest, which they're watching closely rather than a variant of concern, which they've je- definitely shown is a, is a problem. So if it's not the variant that's driving it, I mean, maybe it is, but if they're sort of going, oh, it's probably just a vari- variant of interest at this stage, why are they seeing such a spike in cases and deaths? Because you don't need a variant for this virus to take off. This virus is highly contagious, it's highly dangerous, and just doesn't need much to take off. Um, I don't know how many people saw Four Corners on Monday night. Beautifully made film. I strongly recommend you download it on iView. About how it took off in Wuhan. And it just you, you get doubling of numbers, exponential growth very, very quickly, just with the old-fashioned Wuhan version of the virus. So it doesn't take much. So what are the lessons for Australia and what do we say to people? There's so many Australians who have family and loved ones who live in India. What are the lessons here? Well, the, the lessons for us are that with India, where one in three people who are being tested are testing positive, which is 
as much a reflection of their poor testing rates as it is of how many people in the community are positive. There's a lot of virus around. And therefore, people coming back from India do need to be quarantined in hotels and kept safe there, looked after, and also making sure that the virus doesn't escape. That's the real message there. And when if you're living in India, you've really got to keep socially distanced, wear a mask, wash your hands, do everything that we know protects you. But when there's that much virus around and nobody else is properly socially distancing, you've got a problem. So to another country that Australia has really close ties with, which is, of course, New Zealand, uh, the travel bubble opened this week, which was really, really exciting for lots of families who are and people with loved ones who are really excited to be reunited with them. But yesterday we heard that a border worker in New Zealand has tested positive for coronavirus. How worried should we be? This is going to happen. And the interesting thing here is that this person was fully vaccinated quite early on. And given they're only using Pfizer in New Zealand, I presume this person was um, immunised against Pfizer. And you do get um, the occasional breakthrough. So you've just got to be really careful. I don't think it's a cause for panic. They're going to contact trace and just tie this down. But this is going to happen again and again. It's got nothing to do with... The bubble opening up, it's got everything to do with hotel quarantine. A lot of pressure on hotel quarantine in New Zealand. According to one source of mine in New Zealand, the numbers are actually in absolute numbers, roughly the same as Australia, which means that the rate of return for New Zealand is much higher than Australia. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on New Zealand's borders. So this person was fully vaccinated and they were picked up during routine testing, which it sounds like they do every few days in New Zealand for people who are likely to have been exposed to the virus. This really shows us that the importance of continuing that testing even after vaccination coverage is quite quite full. And it also has impl- that's right. And it also has implications for opening up the borders. Is that, as Tony Fauci said the other day. The vaccine is not a hundred percent guarantee that you don't get infected and pass it on. So you've still got to have the other measures in place. The benefit of this is that what we don't really know about this person is how infectious they were, how much virus they had on board, um, and therefore how likely to spread it to other people. It's quite likely that if you've got if you've been vaccinated, you haven't got very much virus on board, and you're probably not that contagious. But you don't know that for sure. Well, let's take some questions from our audience because there's plenty of them, especially about vaccination. Kirsty's asking, what is the treatment or outcome for those people who get the rare blood clots from the AstraZeneca vaccine? Step one is getting properly diagnosed so that you've got low platelets associated with clotting. So on scanning, you find the clotting and there's low platelets and there's antibodies to the P4 factor on the platelets. That's roughly how you make the diagnosis. So the treatment is not giving heparin or warfarin, two common anticoagulants, because the theory is that could make you much worse. They're giving intravenous immunoglobulin. There's no proof that that's effective, but it's in theory a way of controlling the antibody response to the uh, to the platelets. And they're also, in some instances, giving an anticoagulant that's not related to heparin and a non-aspirin-based Uh, anticoagulant. They're giving that as well. The treatment is not pinned down. We've got questions from Gilda and John on similar themes. Basically, you get the AstraZeneca jab as your first jab, but then there's a 12-week wait before your second dose. What's the chances that you could have an mRNA vaccine by the time you're due for your second jab? At the moment, I would say that's fairly low, depending on your age, of course. If you are under 50, then 
hopefully the Commonwealth will stop giving aged care Pfizer and turn elderly people into Astra recipients and there'll be more Pfizer available. But we still don't know for sure that mixing vaccines is a good thing to do. It's highly likely that that it will be. Um, And it's all part of this flexibility that people are talking about. So it may well happen that people can mix their vaccines and according to what's available, but you can't guarantee that at the moment. So there are trials underway looking at whether or not it's safe and effective to mix vaccines. When do we expect to see those results coming through? I think quite soon, although they've extended the trials there. So I imagine that you'll get an answer reasonably soon because what they'll be monitoring for is safety and whether the antibody and the antibody response, and that's pretty easy to do. So hopefully it's not very far away. So another comment that we've had from people, Norman, yesterday you mentioned that the only argument that you'd heard about the benefits of using Pfizer in aged care was that they would be vaccinated within three weeks. And someone has made the comment that perhaps the vaccinations that we're seeing going to aged care now are actually people getting their second dose. And you can't complain about that, and that's certainly true. However, the, the government is committing to is committed, according to the release from yesterday from National Cabinet on Monday, that they are continuing to roll out Pfizer into aged care, which means continuing to roll out first doses of, of, of Pfizer. And your argument, of course, is that those doses would be better given to frontline workers who are under 50 because people in aged care over 50 are going to get just as much benefit from AstraZeneca as they are from Pfizer. That's right. And the people in aged care are only going to get infected when the virus escapes from hotel quarantine through the various barriers. And even though this worker has been infected with the vaccine, there is a reduction in infection with Pfizer and there is a reduction with Pfizer. And you want to be be able to protect those barriers, which include healthcare workers working in hospitals and so on. And we still haven't covered them adequately. And they need to be covered within three weeks and fully covered and safely when they're under 50. So there's a lot of there's a lot of arguments for that. And then there's aged care workers as well. So you've got this complicated situation where people are going into aged care and immunising the elderly in aged care, but telling aged care workers to go to their GPs when they should be able to be immunised inside you in the aged care facility because they're at high risk too. So with aged care workers, over 50 get Astra and under 50 get Pfizer. And the, you know it's not that complicated to bring in both Pfizer and Astra. The complicated bit is getting the healthcare workers into the uh, the facility to give the injections. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. But as always, ask your questions by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask a Question and mention Coronacast so we can find it. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. 